Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything on today's show. I met this man probably about a year and a half, almost two years ago, and uh, he really, really impacted my life, not because of what he was doing, but just because of who he was. Um, he talked about, he's all constantly giving everyone else compliments and smiling big. Um, he's got big, he's got an incredibly, um, uh, I guess you would say jealous making. I don't even know if that's a phrase, but jealous making smile. He makes me jealous by his smile because his teeth are so straight. They're so white. They're so in place. And it's uh, phenomenal. I had braces when I was growing up and I still got jacked up, uh, you know, uh, teeth moving different ways. Um, but when I met him, the connection point was so amazing. And, uh, you know, it's very seldom that you find that in the celebrity sense. It's very seldom that you find it in, in Hollywood. And when I went up to Hollywood, I got a chance to be on his show. Um, he was asking the questions, but he was constantly just empowering and helping people to feel amazing around him. So I'm going to list off some things. You can find him at Rob Mac official on Instagram, uh, coach Rob Mac, uh, com. Uh, he is a celebrity happiness coach. Never heard of that before, but it's amazing. I want to know more about it. Executive coach and author, a speaker, and I think one of the most amazing souls just to be around. And you'll see why this beam of light uh, is on the show today. So welcome to the show, Mr. Rob Mack. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. You have no idea how much I appreciate you, Kelly. And everything you just said there about me is like perfect the perfect reflection of you. It really is. You're just such a light. So thanks so much for having me on. Well, I said jealous making too. So uh, if uh, the producers of the show are going to be like, yo, what are you even talking about? So that's what we're actually going to name this this episode is the jealous making man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Hopefully, maybe I'll make a shirt of it. We'll brand it. Be like, yo, I want to be a jealous making person. Um, it doesn't even make any sense at all. But it makes sense to me because when I look at you, it's not a jealousy in the sense that I want what you have or that you make me feel bad about what I have. But it's just the fact fact that you inspire people at such a high level. Um, let's talk about this happiness. I mean, when you, when I said that you're an author, you already have one book out that is, uh, happiness from the inside out and you're working on your series just about to release the next one, love from the inside out. Talk to us about happiness. Yeah. It's a, such a great question because, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, we most teach or we best teach, but we mostly to learn. So like, I was and am the least likely person in the world to like talk to people and coach people around happiness because I was so unhappy all of my life, most of my life. I mean, I was born extraordinarily unhappy. I mean, I was so unhappy that I eventually got to a place where I was not only deeply dysphoric beyond that, deeply depressed and seriously suicidal. I mean, I experienced uh, suicidal ideation for about like two decades. I even had a suicidal experience. I still have to test suicide test marks on my wrist to this day. I never thought I was going to grow out of this unhappiness or depression. I really didn't. And it's so wild to me and it's mind blowing and it's awe inspiring actually that I get to have this conversation with you about being a happiness coach when I was so unhappy for so long. So yeah, unhappiness is something that I've known intimately well. And um, now it's funny that I should talk and teach folks how to be happier. Well, I think it, uh, that's the the great thing about you, Rob, is that you come from a um, uh, an authentic sense. Um, you don't come from theory; you come from uh, actually experiencing it. Let's go. Let's go back there. Now, when I look at you, I mean, if you're not watching the video, 
you could hear it in his voice. His voice is one of those voices that's like, wow, I want to hang out with him. Ladies are going to want to hang out with him. Guys going to want to hang out. Everybody wants to hang out. If you see him, I mean, you're a handsome guy. I mean, you are a great looking man. So a lot of, and I mean, you got a fresh cut, you lined up, you look good. You got that beautiful smile. Most people will be like, okay, Rob, you were, you're in Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Like you're on, uh, you know, TV shows all over. You're endorsed by Oprah. You're endorsed by Vanessa Williams. You're writing books. You're doing all these things. How are you going to tell me that you weren't happy? Let's go back to that little Rob and talk to us about what started to cause that in the first place. Absolutely. So I'm going to Venmo you and sell you and PayPal you when we get done with this conversation here, Kelly, because that was amazing. I'm open to receiving that. So thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, my first memories of being alive were memories of being deeply stressed out and anxious and seriously self-loathing. Like I hated myself. So like even to hear you say this to me today and I receive it, it, you know, there's a part of me that's always like, man, there's a little boy still inside there somewhere. Right. Who really struggled with any of that. Like I knew for certain I was the ugliest guy in the world, the ugliest person on the planet. That's how I genuinely felt. I also felt I was the absolutely like least intelligent, probably the stupidest person on the planet. I hated everything about myself, literally. And I don't know exactly why I know that I had a bit of a difficult childhood, you know, incredibly loving family, you know, but we didn't, uh, you know, everything wasn't made of gold. Right. So we struggled a little financially, quite a lot, quite a bit financially. And, um, you know, as I got older, I always thought I would grow out of it. I was like, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. I'm going to have a girlfriend, you know, maybe many girlfriends, you know, I'm going to make some money and I'll grow out of this unhappiness. But that didn't happen. Like I did well in school. I was saluted toward my high school class and I did well. You know, I played basketball and football and baseball and I ran cross country and I eventually got a consulting job and I just continued to hate myself and I continued to be deeply depressed. I thought about suicide dozens of times a day. I mean, it was the one thing I wanted more than anything else was just to not exist, you know? So, um, I just, and I didn't really share that with a whole lot of people. I tried to put on a good face. Um, I don't think I did a great job of putting on a good face. Um, but yeah, so eventually I got to this place where I started doing some research. I was like, you know, I have a pretty good life, make good money. I had an incredible girlfriend at the time. She spoke five languages. She was beautiful. All these things. I had two incredible German cars. I mean, I had, you know, a good life, you know. And so as I began thinking about what is it exactly that's making me so miserable, it was like, first of all, I just hated everything about myself and nothing was ever good enough. So I'd get an A, but I knew that I had guessed on number 19. So that would bother me forever. Like I didn't actually deserve the A. Also, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Kelly, but for me, it was this existential thing too, which is like, you know, we're all thrown into this world on this planet. There's no guidebook really that we know of and some religious things. And, you know, you try to learn from those things, but when you're little and you're small, you can't understand all of that. And just this existential sense and feeling that, you know, we're all expected to work so hard to achieve, acquire and accomplish these incredible things in our lives. And all of it only so that one day it's stripped away from you. It's taken away from you, whether it's in death or whether it's in bankruptcy or a mistake that you make. And same thing with all the people you love. So it was the, that combination of things. It was like, I hated myself on one hand, and I was also deeply disturbed by this proposition of life itself. So Rob, you just said, I mean, I want to go back in and unpack a couple of things because what you were just talking about, you said, you know, you had 
Um, you know, you had a loving family. Um, maybe you didn't have all the money in the world. Um, you know, this is a common thing. And I think a lot of people out there listening are, um, and can relate to that and can connect with it. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the, you know, maybe some of the circumstances, some of the things, because what you just explained to me, I mean, and most of the, most of the people listening probably, you know, Hey, you're playing sports, you're excelling at sports, right? You're excelling at that. Uh, you got a family who loves you. Um, you know, you find a, find a young lady, she speaks five languages and then you're just bragging. Um, (laughs) you know, you, you got these things. When did the, when did these thoughts of like not liking Rob, like, I mean, was there thing, I mean, were you being compared to other people by people? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, it was um, perfectionism, right? I mean, okay. a lot of it was for me perfectionism. And it was that, but it was also, interestingly enough, at the time, I didn't recognize it as a real insight. It was mostly just a painful experience. But I had this insight later in life, which was that no matter what do I achieve or what I accomplish or what I acquire, none of it delivers like the happiness that I think it should, you know, it was always experiencing this expectation hangover, like, oh man, that party was supposed to be the best party ever. Or, you know, that it's, you know, that car, the car that I bought, it was like the first BMW I had. It was like, that car is supposed to deliver way more happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction than it ever did. And even when it did deliver some pleasure, the pleasure and the enjoyment didn't last for very long. It faded really quickly. And so there was suddenly, you know, only later did I understand that that was incredible. There was incredible wisdom there, which is that, you know, nothing and nobody in the world can ever make you happy, right? Like there's not happiness in the world. It's not happiness in other people. The happiness you're looking for ultimately is within you, right? But I couldn't really see that. That was really hard to sort of get my head around. I mean, I could understand it intellectually, but viscerally, it took a long time for that to really settle in where I came to understand that, okay, enjoy life, enjoy people, enjoy conditions and circumstances, but don't seek happiness and peace and self-love in other things or other people. This episode is brought to you by one of my favorite companies in the entire world, the Mina Group. As one of the top culinary experiences in the world, celebrity chef Michael Mina and his team are dedicated to giving you what you never knew you always wanted. With 30 locations throughout the world, this company is focused on the one thing that truly matters, their people, and that is why they are your world of wow. Change your life by going to michaelmina.net. So um, let me ask you this, because those of you who are watching, you could see this. Uh, Beautiful caramel skin, right? (laughs) Not too too dark, not too light. Not that dark is bad, not that too light is uh, bad. I got family members on both sides. I got family members that make Wesley Snipes look light-skinned. I got family members that, uh, you know, are, are whiter than my socks. You fall in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so mm-hmm. talk to us about growing up, like, because, you know, in growing up in that, sometimes identity-wise, it's kind of like, I, I don't know. I mean, did you ever go through these kind of things? Did you ever struggle with it? Was there any challenges? This is why I love you, brother. I mean, I really do. It's like, yeah, that's precisely a huge part of it for me. I never really fit in. It was like, you know, with the, um, and, you know, all the, with the white kids, I never really fit in because I was a brown guy, you know. With the black kids, I didn't really fit in because I was a brown guy, you know. And, and also on top of that, you know, I, my parents were very meticulous about the way I spoke. So I didn't really have a, a really flexible, like, vocabulary 
and way of communicating at that time, you know? So it was just like, yes, sir. And no, and they're like, who's this? Like, why is this dude so pretentious? You know what I mean? But it wasn't, I wasn't pretentious. I was deeply insecure. That's just the way I conducted myself because I knew if my dad was anywhere in the vicinity, he heard me speaking in any other way, I was probably going to get, you know, cupped aside my head or whatever. Right. So yeah, I really struggled with that. I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I definitely felt like an alien. I felt deeply isolated, totally alienated. And I felt like, you know, I just stood out in the worst ways. You know, I didn't stand out in any real great way, in any positive way. It was just, I was standing out in every way that I didn't want to stand out. And I also happened to grow up in a very small town that was right down the street from the KKK, right? And so I'd go to school and sometimes, you know, you'd have all kinds of things in your lockers. You'd have nooses in there and you'd have, you know, everybody's flying a Confederate flag. And so that was a very interesting <laughs> experience, um, to say the least as well. So there was lots going on there um, with my childhood that I now deeply appreciate because I'm like, I love all that because it made me exactly who I am. It built strength and resilience. And yeah, went through some challenging times, but gosh, it was also perfect. It was also perfect, which is hard to really feel or experience when you're going through it. But when you look back, you're like, man, I wouldn't change any of it. So now what town, what town did you grow up in? I grew up in a small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania called Washington, Pennsylvania. We call it little Washington. Uh, but yeah, I grew up there. So when you're, when you're going through, how did that affect you in the dating game too? Because, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't realize this. So shout out to my uh, buddy, Will Simmons. This is my best friend since I was in fourth grade. My, my friend, Will Simmons grew up and he's mixed also. And so, you know, he, he, I remember his mom showing up to football practice the first time and his mom being white and, uh, dad is black and he, sh- his mom was dropping him off to football practice. And I had known him cause I'd been at his house as my boy and everyone was like, Oh, is that your babysitter? Is that your babysitter? And I didn't realize it until we were in, um, uh, middle school and there was an eighth grader. There was a girl that he liked and he wanted to date and he started dating her and her pop was like, she's not allowed to date Brown people. This is the first time I had heard this. How was the dating game for you? Because again, like in a small town and, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, in a small town and then the influences that you have, I mean, sometimes talk to us about that. I love it. So it's like, I get shivers when I talk to you because it's like, you can read my mind. It's unbelievable. I mean, look, no dating game. I had no game. (laughs) I had no game, bro. None. I had no game, like none. My game really consisted of me getting as good at basketball as I possibly could so that it felt like I had some swag. I mean, that was my whole, that whole game was just like basketball. Okay. I had no dating game. And to your point, you know, I did, you know, I ran cross country. I played other sports and sometimes, you know, I would drive, you know, like for cross country. I remember getting pulled over more than once by the local police because I was in the driver's seat and I had, you know, there was a white girl in the passenger seat. Right. And literally pulled us over. And they, I remember them not even approaching me. They asked me maybe for my ID and whatever. And then they went straight to her door and they said, you know, what are you doing with him? Why are you riding with him? She said, well, we are on the same cross country team, you know? And they said, she's, the guy looked at her and said, no, no, I don't know about that, you know, kind of thing. And I remember at that point, it started deeply sort of resonating with me. Like, you know, I feel different because I am different as far as other people perceive me. Right. So I didn't date for at all through, you know, middle school, high school, only when I got to a few years into college that I started dating, I was voted most shy of my high school class because I was that awkward and that uncomfortable in my own skin. So no, I did not date. What's interesting about that real quick, and I'll keep it brief, but like, 
I always assumed that everyone saw me the way I saw me, which is like this, you know, terribly awkward, uncomfortable, super shy, disgusting, ugly kid, you know, like brown kid. And then funny because I went to my senior banquet and anyway, they played this song and you probably don't remember, but maybe Bad Boys. When Bad Boys came out, there was a song called, right, Shy Guy, Diana King. Okay, So I'm just trying to hide the entire senior banquet. My mom made me, went, made me go to it. I'm sitting there. Banquet's almost over. They play this song and all the prettiest, most popular girls in the class came over and started dancing around me, you know? And I thought they were teasing me. I thought for sure they're making fun of me. Like, you know, they're seriously clowning me right now. So I just became extraordinarily like panicked. And then before I knew it, a few more seconds in, I realized they were like genuinely celebrating me. And then afterwards I had a conversation with them and they were like, Rob, you know, it's so sad that, you know, we never got to connect and, you know, I would have liked to get to know you better, but you were so quiet and we just thought we should leave you alone unbelievable the limitations you impose on yourself bro i did that for 18 years you know so yeah didn't have any dating game none <laughs> so now now you understand that you had shy game like the, all the ladies and all the ladies out there listening that went to high school with rob you know you were wanting to hang out you know you're wanting to holler so i'm going to give you at the end of the podcast all you ladies i'm going to give you his phone number and that that way that that'll that'll boost the ratings huge so okay so you go through this you're you're going through um you you said the suicidal thoughts when did they start when what what age i was probably about i would say 7, seven or 8 when i was like i don't want to exist maybe 11 or 12 when I was like, I want to die. You know, that was like that. Yeah. It was really young. I remember even reading a book, psycho cybernetics. That was partly, I partly read it. Cause it, I, I was like, there's something going on with me mentally that I don't quite fully understand. That was my first introduction to a book that told me there was another possibility, but at the time I couldn't really digest that only later did that seed that was planted at like 11 or 12 start to sprout into something that was healthy. But yeah, um, most of my life, I mean, from the earliest that I can remember through my early 20s, I really wanted to die. So with all the with all the talk about mental health and I just, uh, you know, you're seeing this in the news with Simone Biles, you know, things like that. Like, are, is it Biles or Billis? Uh, Biles. 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 Mm -hmm. You're seeing all this stuff and you're seeing both sides. You're seeing some people come out and say, oh, you're weak. And you're seeing other people that are saying, like, I'm support you. Thank you so much for this. Do me a favor, talk to the kid who's seven to maybe 15 and they're in it right now and they've got those thoughts. Yeah. Talk to that kid right now. Yeah. I mean, I'd say first and foremost, you're not alone. You're not alone. Anybody who's paying attention and really sensitive and aware of what life is and what's happening in life is going to feel at some point in time upset, overwhelmed, depression, and you might even get to a place where you're seriously contemplating how much better everybody's life would be, not just yours, if you didn't exist or you weren't alive. There's no question about that, okay? And so it's actually a testament to your intelligence. It's a testament to your awareness. It's a testament to your sensitivity. It takes an incredibly aware and sensitive and intelligent person to recognize how ill this society is. So to be well-adjusted to a sick society makes you sick, right? And to feel sick in a sick society 
is intelligence, right? And so there's a psychological, emotional immune system working at work here. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'll say is there are people like myself, like Kelly, lots of other folks that have dedicated their entire lives, blood, sweat, tears, to learning one thing, the one thing you're most pressed about, concerned about, struggling with, challenged by. There is someone, probably dozens, countless people in the world that have spent their entire lives solving for the one problem that you feel and you think is unsolvable, right? And so to that end, I would encourage you, find those people, seek those people out. I want to be one of those people, right? I am one of those people as far as I am concerned, right? And so seek those people out. And the final thing I'll say is this, you don't and you can't possibly understand the richness and the wealth and the abundance and the happiness and the pleasure that awaits you whoever you are, you can't possibly imagine it. I thought for sure I would never be having a conversation like I'm having today with my man Kelly about how to be happy, not because I'd read about it, but because I actually lived it, because I actually discovered some things through smarter people than me that led me not only to be happy, but also to finally make some real money and to meet some really interesting people, some beautiful men, some beautiful women, right? And so you don't know what awaits you. And I promise you, if you hang in there and you seek out some help, you're going to find that this experience of yours that is full of terrible problems will lead you to the most terrific purpose. You know, these deep problems, these great problems lead you always to your greatest purpose. So hang in there, reach out. I promise you things get better. What do you say to the kids like in the small town or maybe in the not so nice neighborhood that like, it's not cool to, to talk about, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if, if any of you out there listening, which I know there are that maybe don't, um, you know, I, I, I lived in a double wide, I lived in a single wide, um, you know, and we lived in, in, you know, situations where there was tons of love, but you know, we didn't have as a ton of resources. You understand this coming from a small town, what would be an actionable item that a person out there could do that maybe doesn't have, you know, isn't around people like you or isn't around, I mean, what can they do? Yeah. So the great thing is these days, I mean, if you can, if you're listening to this particular interview right now, you know that you have access to the entire world. Okay. If you can hear us, virtually, you have access to the entire world. That is something that I did not have and Kelly did not, we didn't have growing up. I mean, it was like just the beginnings of it. And so you have access to the entire world virtually. And so that means that you can access and most of the resources that you need or you want are all available online. Like you can YouTube anything. You can YouTube practically anything. There's nothing you can't YouTube. There's nothing you can't Google, right? So like, it's all there. So that's the first thing is that it's all there. The second thing is like, it's so hard to put into words, but everything that you currently now think is an obstacle to your future Happiness and success and love is actually a deep opportunity to be that much more happy and successful and loving and self-loving. You don't see it now, but trust me, everybody who is great, everybody who is extraordinarily successful, everybody who is extraordinarily happy, and they've done it on their own, they have experienced what you've experienced in different flavors or forms, right? And it's because of those experiences, not in spite of them, because of those experiences that they rose above those experiences and became who and what they are. And so you don't see it now, but all those 
experiences, situations, circumstances you might consider poor or unhappy or stressful or anxious or undesirable or uncomfortable are actually setting you up for the very success that you think they're getting in the way of. Well, I, I think it's incredible that you say it because even this morning, uh, Rob, um, I, I, I was doing an interview with a guy and he's amazing. His name is Stephen Epstein. And um, we tried the Zoom, didn't work. Tried the Zoom again, didn't work. Tried his Zoom, didn't work. Had to finally just do a phone call. And then while I was on the phone call, and then I had to jump onto another one, my wife was trying to go to a, a chocolate shop with my daughter. Well, I happened to this morning go down to her car and I had her car keys in my pocket while I'm doing interviews so she can't walk into the room. So my wife has to wait two and a half hours for my silly butt to come out. And I could just feel it in her like, you know, and I was so disappointed and I was so down that I started to have thoughts. This sounds crazy, but I started to have thoughts like, should I really be doing this? Should I really be interviewing people? Do I deserve to be in this spot? This challenge, that challenge. I just went through it today. And so you have shining light on that. That, I mean, that it's an opportunity. I just want to thank you because it's in real time, man. And, you know, it's huge. Oh, Kelly, like, I guess shivers, man. Soul shivers. I mean, you're my soul brother. And I felt that the very first second we met, I feel every time we connect, like this, this smile lights up the room your energy touches me in a deep way, man. Like I feel emotional about it because I can just feel that. Like, and I'll tell you right now, like this conversation that we're having, this experience that we're having is as beneficial for me as as anybody else in the world because everybody has those thoughts. Like, should I be doing this anymore? Like, what's the point of this? Nobody's listening. Or maybe I'm just, you know, maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe it's like, no, like, no, especially if you love it. You know, it's not, I don't believe that desires are accidental. They're not in your heart for no reason. It's there for a reason, right? Like, and if you want to do something and you love doing it, that in of itself is proof that you should be doing it. You deserve to be doing it, right? Otherwise, the desire and the passion wouldn't be there. So like, especially with you, Kelly, but this goes for all of us, myself included. It's like, if you're not chasing your dreams, if you're not doing what you love, what are you living for, right? What are you living for? And you don't have to do it full time. I know we got to pay the bills too, right? But it's like, you know, this is what life is. Life is to be enjoyed. It's to be lived. You know, it's to be loved. Well, I just think it's incredible. So I want to get, I want to get, jump back into the story because you got done, you got through with, with high school. You went off to, uh, went off to college. You, you went to uh, uh, University of Penn or UPenn. Um, you got your master's degree there. And it was in, I, I said it earlier, but hold on, hold on. I'm about to say it. So I sound smart because I like to hang out with smart people. So I sound smart. Um, <laughs> It is applied positive psychology, the MAP uh, uh, degree, and there's very few people. You were you were very gracious, but at the time when you got it, there was uh, only a, uh, a dozen or so people that had this this degree. Can you talk to us about that experience in college? Going, I mean, you studied happiness. Like this yeah, is yeah, this is amazing. So cool, man. Like you know, it's so interesting too. Um, so that's exactly right. Came out of undergrad. Worked for a consulting firm, hated the job, loved the people, hated the job though. I was like, oh, there's something about me. It's not corporate. You know, it's like a, it's not going to work. So anyway, went to get an MBA degree in the meantime, because I was trying to figure out my life out. I had moved to Miami and in order to, at some point I left the consulting company in order to pay for the MBA before the math, I was modeled. I modeled for like 10 years, right? That I just fell into because it's like, I was sure again, I was the ugliest person in the world, but I had run into an agent one time and then 
you know, he said, hey, you should come into the agency. And I was like, oh, I'm good. You must, I thought he was joking me. Like, I'm punked. It's going to be Ashton Kutcher jumping out of the bushes somewhere. And then it happened another time about a week and a half later. And I was really struggling for money. So I was like, I'm going to just check this out. I need the money. So it turned into a 10 year career of modeling. We all joke because it was like mostly 10 years of being unemployed, <laughs> but it was good, you know? So anyway, in that time, all I'm doing really is reading a ton of like, don't kill yourself books. I'm reading a ton of like, here's how to be happy books. And I'm trying to apply it all, right? And I'm also taking this journal where it's like, I'm tracking everything worked and didn't. So I finally get to the point. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do with my life really, but I knew it had to be about happiness. So in that period of time, lo and behold, this program pops up. A master's of applied positive psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. And I was like, what's that? And then I discovered it's the science of what makes life worth living. It was the science of happiness at the time. That's the way I understood it. So I was like, I've got to check this out. This sounds amazing. This sounds dope. This is like me reading the books I'm already reading, but then I get a master's degree as a result of it. So I was like, cool. So I matriculated into that program and it was incredible. I mean, what was most incredible, because you can get the content online. You can always get the books and all that online. But what is incredible is you meet people who are genuinely and sincerely wanting to be happy and wanting to make other people happy. That's what got me so jazzed up. I was like, are you kidding me right now? It's like, it's like not that there could ever be a room full of Kelly's, but it was as close you can get to that where it's like, oh, wow. Like I'm freaking jazzed over this. Like it's amazing. Right. And the professors were also just incredible. They were so smart and they were so well-educated and they also were committed to being happy and making the world a happier place. So it was a fantastic program. I'm deeply happy. I'm also deeply in debt <laughs> from that program, but it's all good. I really love it. Um, I love Penn and I love the people in the MAP program. Yeah. This episode is proudly brought to you by SamaritansFeet.org. I met Manny Ahomey probably about four or five months ago, and this man had such an impression on me. He told me that when he was nine years old, he had lived up until that point without shoes, and he won a contest, uh, got shoes, and it changed his whole entire life, inspired him to play basketball, inspired him to get a, a Division I uh, scholarship playing basketball and uh, succeed at a high level in his life. He then got to a point where he was so successful Successful, but he was looking for purpose in his life. Samaritan's Feet serves and inspires hope in children by providing shoes as a foundation to a spiritual and healthy life, resulting in the advancement of education and economic opportunities. When I asked Manny, why shoes? Why did you think that this would be so huge? And he said to provide a tangible foundation of hope and the opportunity for a better life, to prompt children to focus in school and families not to worry and to protect feet and decrease the possibility of getting a foot-borne disease. Since 2003, Samaritan's Feet and its partners have distributed over 8 million pairs of shoes in 108 countries and over 440 U.S. cities. And that's why I'm so proud that SamaritansFeet.org is one of the main sponsors of the Kelly Cardenas podcast because making this world a better place is our rent for living on this planet. So when did you get into coaching? You've been doing this for over 20 years. You did it before it was, uh, what I love about it, man, is you did it before it was popular. I tell you, every single person that I meet now I mean, I could meet a, a dude digging a ditch and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? And then, you know, I tell, uh, ask him how he got into his business. He's like, yep. And I'm a life coach too. <laughs> and, 
And most of the people that say that they're life coaches don't like what they're, what they're living. Does that make sense? And Total. so you're hearing coach after coach after coach. And I can, I have to admit, I haven't said this uh, publicly. Um, but there was a point where I was like, I don't even want to be associated with the word because of what's associated with the word. Now, I love this. Okay. But you were doing it before it was popular, right? So talk to us about getting into it and then talk about what it actually means to you. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point, man. Like I had discovered in this unhappy journey of mine that I needed to make happiness like a career in my, in my head. It was like, I need to make this the main thing in my life. It wasn't even a career kind of thing. It was just a main thing in my life. Like I need to find some way that happiness is always on my radar that I'm talking to people about it consistently, or I'm going to slip, man. I'm going to fall off the bandwagon and I'm going to be screwed, you know? So I was like, okay. So I was, when I'm booking these modeling gigs and some acting gigs, I'm in the trailer or I'm on set and everybody else is talking about like the next project or gig they're booking or whatever. But I'm like, what makes you happy? You know, what, what makes you get, what makes you feel inspired and just joyful? And, you know, when do you feel most peaceful? And they're like, Rob, you seem to really like these conversations. It seems even more than the entertainment stuff. And I said, well, I do. And so they said, well, have you ever thought about, you know, doing that for a living? And I was like, well, I kind of have, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that would be called. They said, well, you know, and I remember I had a friend and she said, well, why don't you just think about, you know, what it would look like. You could talk to people every day. What would you write about it to? And I started looking things up and I was like, well, I'd always been familiar with Tony Robbins. And I was like, well, what's he call himself? And the time before that was like coach kind of thing. And I was like, I could be a happiness coach. And then not long after that, I discovered this guy named Richard Carlson who wrote, wrote don't sweat um, the small stuff. And I just remember thinking like, he's like a stress consultant. I could be a happiness coach, you know, but it was not cool. And people didn't really know what I meant. You know, and it sounded a little fluffy, but I was like into it for its own sake. It was like mostly for me. I mean, I was like wanting to help people, but I was like, who knows? Maybe nobody wants my advice or guidance or help, but at least it'll keep me on track. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, now's the time to do some shameless promotion. This episode is brought to you by Squeeze Dried, a delicious, no-hassle way to get superfoods, vitamins, and nutrition. SqueezeDried.com. It's also brought to you by Cardenas Law Group, a high-level boutique law firm for all your personal injury needs. That's CardenasLawGroup.com. Thank you so much again for listening. Hopefully, you're continuing to enjoy the episode. So... How, how does it work too? Because I mean, and I, again, I have first, I have firsthand experience with you. So it's not like, you know, Hey, I see this guy in this Instagram persona or this YouTube persona or this TV in your sense, TV and, you know, being on with Mario Lopez and being on all these things and being like, Oh, wow, this guy is awesome. Like I got to experience the awesomeness, like when the camera wasn't rolling, Right. When does it go from theory to application? Because you and I know there's people out there, right? And that they're a walking, um, reciting Think and Grow Rich book. So they read Think and Grow Rich and they're just reciting it. And I'm like, and then they throw in the word that is super popular today, which is called entrepreneur, which means you're unemployed and you live with your mom. 
And they just recite Think and Grow Rich, um, some other classics. But then you look and you're like, ah, when did it go from, from theory to application for you? Great point. So I'd say there's probably a few steps there. The first, the most important step by far was the moment when I did the research on how to kill myself, discovered what I had access to. I was like, oh, I don't have a gun. Know how to get that. Don't have the medications available. I could get access to a razor or a knife. So went to the kitchen, got a kitchen knife, dug into my wrist and still have the suicide test marks so, to this day. Rob, Rob, hold on, hold on. There's a book that shows you how to do this? There, to, to what, kill yourself? There's, I, I just would go online, Google it. Oh, you would Google that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there probably is. I'm not saying, I'm yeah. not endorsing oh. this book at yeah. all. No, but, but so you were researching this. Now, when, yeah. you, when you went, when you went, now for those of you watching, you could see my hand, but those of you, I'm going to go horizontal on my hand. Did you go horizontal or did you go vertical? I went horizontal. You can't really see it in the, in the video there, but yeah, there's uh, two marks there. And I, I didn't really, you know, I hadn't looked into it fully. Like I just was like, oh, I can do this thing. And I didn't go any further than that. Like, oh, what would be the right way to do it? And how should I hit the vein so that it actually, you bleed out? I, you know, I just was like, you know, I was not, of course, in a rational state of mind. It was just like, oh, I'll slip my, slip my, uh, slip my wrist, right? So I went horizontal across my arm and not down. Yeah. And so, you know, at the time, now here's the thing. This is the great reveal for me. Because like right in the midst of doing this, and of course, you're a little concerned about the pain and all that. So you like kind of test it out a little, you know, I, for no good reason, seemingly at the time, felt total peace and I felt real joy and a sense of, and love. I felt love. And so in the time, at the moment, that was the most inexplicable, unpredictable, unexpected thing that could have happened, right? You're just in the middle of killing yourself and you feel better than you've ever felt. So I was like, so something happened. There was something that clicked that was like weird, like, okay, I should maybe put off the suicide for like five minutes, 10 minutes. I, I committed to 15 minutes, Kelly. The time, that felt impossible. I was like, 15 minutes? I'm never going to last 15 minutes. I'm going to be right back here in like 30 seconds. But I was like, I'm going to do a little more research and see what else is going on. And then before long, I discovered, well, first and foremost, I wasn't alone. Like most of the world has had some kind of thought about suicide. Doesn't mean they've taken action on it. Doesn't mean they're going to, right? Also, most of the world has suffered and suffered deeply in some way. And so I suddenly was like, wow, I'm really not alone in this, right? So that 15 minutes, pardon the pun, bled into a few hours. And now it's been, you know, a couple decades now. Wow. So when you took knife to, I mean, was there pain? Not really, because I was like really pretty amped up. Like, I'm going to get this done, you know, like, and, and it, it wasn't, it didn't really, I, I, you know, I, I, I probably had other kinds of cuts that hurt worse than that. And I think because I was just so like, I don't know. I don't know if I was just almost in another place almost about it. You know, it was like, I thought it was going to hurt, but no, not really. It's like, you know, you cut yourself all the time. And sometimes you cut yourself, and you realize it it's almost like that. It didn't really hurt. So what was your self-talk afterwards? Because I, I have self-talk and my self-talk is, 
my self-talk's in my own voice. My self-talk is very real. It's like a lot of times, like today. Okay, so I put the, the keys in my pocket. And my wife asked for them. I texted and said, because I was able to text through, and I texted, I said, they're in the bathroom. And then I got attitude, like, don't be bothering me, woman. And then at the end of the podcast, I reached in my pocket, or I looked on the table, and I had put them on the table. They weren't in the bathroom, like I said. And my self-talk was like, you bonehead. Like, you bonehead. You started to get, and I was like that. Like, I was real, and it, it was in my own face, and I was doing that. What was your self-talk, like real talk with you when you were going through this? Yeah. So previous to it, it was all like, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. Like you're so like incapable. Like you're just, why do you even exist? Why do you live? Why aren't you dead already? Like you're just a waste of breath. I used to literally think you, you're a waste of breath. Like there are kids, there are people on the planet that need that very breath right now. It's in your lungs. They, they need it worse than you. They deserve it more than you. So that, that was prior, you know, and then when I had this experience though, I suddenly was like, I was still clear. I was dumb, <laughs> but I was also clear. Like, I don't, I'm so dumb that I know, I don't know everything. So some, there was at least a little bit of awareness and intelligence, enough intelligence to know that I didn't know everything. That was big. It was like, you know, oh, maybe there's something more to this unhappiness thing or the happiness thing than I think there is. You know, it was just this little tiny sliver of hope and possibility that maybe there's a way out. Like, you know, and, and part of that also was like all these other doubts around sort of the efficacy of killing yourself. Like, in other words, that I'd always had doubts that killing myself would solve these things. I was concerned because I had read enough to know that maybe I'll return again to the world in a different incarnation maybe i'll return as a tree or a rock or someone who's really in a bad way much worse way than me right or maybe i'll go to hell like so i had all these doubts like maybe you know because if you read most religious spiritual traditions it's like not all that encouraging like you know it doesn't usually you know so it was like i was like okay i'm gonna like all these doubts started surfacing so then suddenly i was like oh it feels like there's something like there's something shifting here i don't know what it is later i would call it maybe divine intervention but it was like something was kind of like pushing me to like look deeper rob and you know don't think you know it all and in that not knowing it all space was this hope that something could be different so who was the first person you called for me it would have been there's two people i would have called there would have been my brother rob who literally would have been like boy i will kick your butt you know what i'm saying like i don't care that maybe you you survived that i'm about to whoop you and take you to your grave then there would have been will and will would have dropped some f-bombs on me and been like what the bleep 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 are you doing like you know get whatever who was the first person that you called and how did you explain it to them and how did they react? So here's the thing. I never called anyone. I never called anyone. I never told anyone. I didn't share it. I didn't share any of this, you know? Um, yeah. So I didn't, I just, I just sat with it. Like, cause, because I had done these things before where I had like, before I was at this point where I would sort of like throw a little, I bait people a little, I throw a little bait out there and, on the fishing line and just make a comment that was kind of morbid. I was a very morbid kid, you know, so I'd always be like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd rather be dead than do that. Ha, ha, ha. But I was kind of serious, you know, and it's like I would do these things and I would see if people would kind of like bite and give me an opportunity to like talk more fully about it. But they wouldn't. They would generally just say, oh, don't talk like that. Why would you say that? Don't say it. And I would always just feel shut down. 
you know, and they wouldn't even kind of joke with me. And so, and I, I understood that that wasn't like, there's no judgment for me about that. It was just like, okay, this isn't um, a conversation people want to have or are up for having. So I didn't, when this experience happened, I didn't call anyone. I didn't talk to anyone about it. Um, you know, I always joked that my, probably my best friends over the course of my life have been dead authors. So I just looked into like books and stuff, you know, I was like, oh, books is always my thing. So I was like, oh, and I remember discovering like Abraham Hicks, you know, and then I eventually discovered Eckhart Tolle. And I just started just diving into like, I guess I reached out to my friends that were dead authors. <laughs> so would I be correct in saying, Rob, that every single person out there listening has someone in their life that is going through what you went through? I would say the essence of it. And the essence of it is, why am I alive? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? How can I be happier? How can I be less stressed and anxious? How can I find more peace? How can I feel more love? Mm. Absolutely. So what would be some of the signs? Because you've been through it, you've been in it, and you've, been, you've lived it. What would be some of the signs that, you know, a normal... Uh, when I say a normal, nobody's normal, but just a, a person in a relationship, like you said, you know, you would make a comment like, I'd rather be dead than that. And you would wait for a response. You didn't get the response. So you just kind of moved on from it. What are some of the, the indicators that we could look for in our relationships that we could be listening for that that way we could be a little bit more sensitive? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, a lot of things that you probably would imagine it's true. I'd say the most important one is that somebody's making a plan. They have a plan of action for killing themselves. Obviously that's, you know, a good indication that someone's, you know, um, doing more than just thinking about killing themselves. Right. So I'd say certainly talking about wanting to die or kill yourself. Absolutely. Like looking for a way to kill yourself, of course, or they're looking for a way. If you find, you know, search bar, you find the history, they've like done these searches on how to kill yourself or you know, on suicide or whatnot. Now that doesn't always necessarily mean that they've done that research for them or for themselves. They might be doing that research because they're concerned about somebody else. Right. But also just talking about feeling hopeless or having no purpose. Um, you know, maybe also disruptions in sleep patterns, maybe sleeping a whole lot all of a sudden or not sleeping much at all. Um, if they're act, uh, sort of acting, especially anxious or agitated or reckless, taking lots of risks, um, you know, a sort of telltale sign of all sort of like, mental health issues and challenges is emotional dysregulation or emotional disorder, which means that folks are like experiencing this emotional kind of roller coaster and it manifests in different ways. Also suddenly if there's an increase in use of like drugs and alcohol, um, if you notice that they're kind of withdrawing a lot or isolating themselves a lot, um, maybe if you also on the other side, it's like if you see a lot of rage or talking about lots of like revenge or seeking revenge, that also can be a sign. Um, but the mood swing thing is probably one of the best indications. Um, the other part of it is like, sometimes they talk about things like being a burden to other people. Um, that's a pretty good sign as well. Um, but yeah, all those things, um, you know, it's sort of sometimes hard to tell. I have, my mom has asked me before and my dad has sort of asked me and they're like, well, you know, honey, I didn't know, you know, that you were going through this and I don't know how I missed the signs. I'm like, well, I, you know, I was very good at hiding the signs. You know, I was a quiet kid anyway and very awkward anyway. So please don't blame yourselves for not knowing what was going inside in you know my brain and my head because you're not my readers, right? So yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that that last statement that you said for a lot of parents out there because I think so many parents take it on and they say, "Oh, this is my fault. I should." But 
a lot of times, I mean, you program yourself and you program your, your environment to, to not see those things. So it, it's great that you give the, the parents some freedom too to be able to forgive themselves in those things too, whether you've gone through it, if you're listening out there and you had a child go through it, which I mean is, I, I couldn't even imagine, but I do have friends that have gone through it. So <clears throat> I, I'm the, I'm the king of transitions, right? And bad transitions, meaning that we're going to, we're going to go from suicide to Hollywood. <laughs> so when we're talking about this, if you take a person who maybe has insecurity, um, you know, is dealing with, uh, you know, uh, challenges as far as mental health wise, things like that. I would say the number one place you should stay away from is Hollywood, but you have gone to Hollywood, been very successful in Hollywood and had a huge positive impact on Hollywood. Can you talk to us about this? Because most of our listeners are like, I mean, you know, that might not be the place that is going to be the most uplifting in the world, but how is it that you've been, I've, I've seen this in you, you're in it, but not of it. Ah, uh, oh, Kelly. Oh, dropping dimes, brother. Dropping dimes. I love you saying it that way. And, you know, um, you're right. Um, Hollywood seems like the last place you probably really want to be um, if happiness is, you know, top of mind, top of heart for you. Um, and I will say that um, the first response I have to that is that it's just by the grace of God. I, I think that, I think that you know, it's interesting in life, man. Like, I am not, a, I'm, I'm a, I would say I'm a good strategic thinker, but I'm not really a business-minded person. I'm not really motivated by money. I love money. I'm open to receive. So anybody wants to send me checks or, you know, wire me some cash, I'm good. I'm taking it. But I think, you know, I, um, I made a commitment to happiness, okay? And it's not that I haven't had challenges along the way. But I think when... I mean, my heart's been real pure about that, right? And so, and I'm going to tie this to a question you asked earlier that I may not have fully answered. Like when I had that moment, I was suicidal, you know, because I often think about, well, why, why do I get to be so lucky where it's like, I was so suicidal and deeply depressed. And now I, I feel so genuinely, like deeply content, fulfilled and happy inside, you know, and not, and that's despite conditions, circumstances, not always going my way by a long shot, right? I got much less than a perfect life by any by any extreme. And so my any degree. And what I discovered was that first happiness and being happy was life and death for me, literally, literally. And so that mean means I, it was never theory for me. It was always meaningful. And I was always sincere about it. And it was always practice because for me, it felt like in death. It felt like if I slip off of this tightrope, that is my life, I will die. I will kill myself. I will take myself out. And so I was like, I had committed, I'm going to live blissfully or not at all, period. That was, you know, there was no in between for me. So when someone's life or death, you get really good, really fast, or I should say it differently, which is like you experience what you're wanting to experience much more fully and deeply and much more quickly, right? So that's the first thing. So when you're that kind of committed and you're even willing, and I was, to like forget about leaving money on the table like, I didn't even have a table kind of thing. It was like, you know, how am I going to make money? I don't know. I just know this. This is my thing. Like, this is my thing. This is more important than how I make money. Because if I don't do this thing, I'm going to kill myself anyway. What will the money do? So I had made this commitment. And then lo and behold, you know, I had some thoughts in the back of my head. Like, it'd be great to, like, use media, like television and radio and podcasts. It'd be so great to, like, not only entertain people, but let's uplift. Let's inspire. Right? Let's help people live better lives. Why can't we do that? Why is that, like... 
not monetizable. Why is that not a thing, right? So I was like, I want to do this thing. And everybody says, no, it's not interesting. We want to see people suffer. And that's kind of where it's at. And it's like, oh, okay, right? So I had all, in my heart of hearts, I was like, I'd love to use that. But I didn't really have any strategy for doing it or any plan for doing it. But one thing led to the next, led to the next. You know, like I booked a TV show on the CW opposite Vanessa Williams. And she just was the most generous, kind, caring person. And she, you know, wrote the forward to my book. And then I met other people in entertainment. And they're like, hey, Rob, you should like do this thing. But I never met those people with an intention of doing this other thing called entertainment. I just met them and they were like, cool. And we were like vibing. I'm like, yeah, let's stay in touch. Because we had a conversation maybe about their, like one of my good friends, Pega. We, I met her at an airport and we just talked about her Yorkie and she happened to be sad that day. So I was like, let's stay in touch. And then 10 years later, she calls me like, Rob, you know, I'm doing this show. It's on E. You want to like, do it? You want to check it out? I'm like, I don't know about TV, but like, I don't know. I'll hear about it. And it turns into two seasons, right? And that turns into an op- uh, uh, um, um, own project, right? And then that turns into something else. So, so it's like, yeah, like the grace of God, man. It's like, I think when you find alignment within yourself, you tend to find that same alignment with conditions and circumstances and other people. And you do it and it happens effortlessly and easily and enjoyably. Um, but no, I never had any master plan and thank God that I didn't because so much better things have worked out for me. So I think that every time synonymous with Hollywood and for those of you guys out there listening to it, it's amazing to be able to hear Rob's story because, um, what, what he's talking about and there's times where people will dumb themselves down. They'll do that because they'll, they'll say, Oh no, I wasn't this. I wasn't this. This is really like what Rob is speaking right now, which I haven't heard these stories, but this is who the guy is. Like he's living, he lives what he's talking about, which is so abnormal. So in Hollywood, um, everyone, the, the big thing is the big break, the big break, the big break, the big break. My friend Tim's story said to me, he said, stop. And I said, what? And you know, Tim too. And he says, stop. There's no big breaks. There's a bunch of little ones. Talk to us about the little breaks as you went along that helped you to be able to, I mean, because if people, when people hear like, oh, wow, I was on a show with Vanessa Williams, they're like, oh my gosh, that was your blow up moment. Now there was a lot of work before that happened. So oh, talk to us so much, that. so much. And it was, um, you know, um, I couldn't see anything but the next step in front of me. And even that I often couldn't see. So you just stumble your way through life hoping that it works out, man. Like, you know, and sometimes you have these grand ideas like, oh, it's going to go this way and this way and this way. And it's never, this hasn't been the case with me. My mom always jokes, especially if I'm ever going through a tough time and she'll say, oh, honey, I wouldn't worry about this opportunity or that one. You know, everything for you just falls out of thin air. You know, it just comes out of nowhere. She's like, especially when you relax, right? Like that's the idea. And I've taken that and I've just applied that, you know, as consistently as I can. One of the first big breaks for me, of course, was this not committing suicide thing, right? And then the next big break was just had an epiphany, kind of an insight, which was like, if everything I'm doing is leading me to consider and contemplate and plan for suicide, maybe I should just do the opposite. Like, I'm just going to do the opposite. It was like, that was the, it was a harebrained scheme. I mean, really, Kelly, it was like, I'm going to just do the opposite. I'm going to have my opposite day, but it's going to be an opposite year, opposite life. And we'll see how it goes. So I was living in Philadelphia. I moved to Miami. You know, I was working a corporate job, started working in entertainment. Then doing all this, working in entertainment. One day I'm at the pool, you know, I get called to a casting. 
I'm like, there's no point in going to this audition. I'm ne- I never booked these jobs. I never booked any job. Why am I going to even go? But thank God for my friend, Melissa. She called me. She knew I had a scooter. And she's like, Rob, can you give me a ride to the audition? You're going, right? And I was like, I'm not going to that, Melissa. I'm not going to that audition. She's like, well, would you give me a ride? And so Melissa was super sweet and pretty and fun and smart. And I was like, I'll give Melissa a ride. To the, you know, what else am I doing? I'm just sitting at the pool. Yeah, I'll give you a ride. But I'm not going in, Melissa. I'm not going in. I get there. As soon as I get there, producer's like, hey, you here for the audition? I'm like, ah, oh, no, nah, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 you're perfect for it. Just come, just let's see you walk. I'm supposed to just do a little modeling walk for the show. So next thing I know, he's like, you know, you'd be great for one of the roles on the show. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's a speaking role. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm not that great an actor. Like, I don't know. You probably don't want me. I mean, who says that, right? In an audition. It's like, but I, I was just honest. I just want to go back to the pool. I was like, I knew this thing wasn't happening. So he's like, let me see. It was so funny too. He's like, let me see your abs. You know, and of course, as a model, you try to stay in shape, but mostly for guys, at least we didn't make any money. So it's not like we were eating that well. So I had a, a few abs there. So I pull up the shirt and he's like, oh, oh, you know what? Go ahead and deliver this line. So like mo- so many things, I didn't care about delivering the line well. So what happens? I delivered it really well. He was like, oh, dude, you're booked. You're booked. That's where I met. So then I booked this role opposite Vanessa Williams. So that was that. And later, you know, I'm at the airport, right? I'm at the airport. I'm just hanging out. I'm reading one of my Don't Kill Yourself books. And there's this woman. She's sitting in the corner. She's beautiful. And I see her sad. And, um, you know, and beautiful because the light was coming from her, not only beautiful because she was physically beautiful, you know, and um, she had this cute little dog and the dog seemed like, you know, just running around. So I was like, oh, you know, hey, are you okay? Like, do you need some water? Like, what can I do for you? And then we just started talking and she's going through, and that's why 10 years later, she calls me and say, Rob, don't you do something like happiness coaching or dating coaching or something? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, I know about this project at E. Why don't you go ahead and interview for it? And I was like, uh. So then that happens, right? So then I booked two seasons of that. And then that leads to me booking this thing, being a consulting producer on own and doing some, you know, on-camera work there. I mean, it just is wild, Kelly. It's wild. And so when I've tried to script my life and say, I'm going to do this thing so I can get that thing, not only do I discover that I'm less happy for it because you're not enjoying the journey, you're just trying to script your life, but also it tends not to work out the way you want. So instead, I'm like, no, my job, for whatever reason, is to be as happy as I can wherever I am, okay, with whoever I'm with, give that person and that thing my loving attention, and trust and have faith that if you do that consistently, everything else will work out for you. The rest will be prepaved. And uh, that's not always easy, um, but that's, that's the way I operate. So I want to go back just a second to when we started, because you were talking about your parents. And you were saying that your pop, if he heard you speaking outside of the way that he wanted you speaking, he'd pop you upside the head, (laughs) right? What were some of the lessons that your parents taught you that at the time were tough, but now you look at them and you say, I'm so glad I have them. Oh, Kelly, man, you asked the best questions, probably really do. You're just in your purpose here. Um, It's like, so I would say the first thing I think about right away is always, son, I don't care what anyone else is anyone else is doing or not doing or saying or not saying or thinking or not thinking you have to work 10 times harder than everyone else period okay just because you are you okay you have to work harder than everybody else that was the first thing so i was always like you know hard work and work outwork everyone like you know so that was the that was the one thing the other thing is my dad would always say this thing even when times were tough he'd say son the cream of the crop always rises to the top it always rises to the top and you're the cream you know you're gonna and he would say things like 
which was strange because at one moment, you know, he was really upset because I misplaced my baseball glove or whatever. And the next, after just coming down on me, he'd say, you know, son, you have greatness in you. You're going to be great. You have greatness in you. And I was remember that at the time thinking, no, I don't. I'm a total loser <laughs> and I suck and I'm never going to be anything. But like, so, okay. And then things like my mom, my mom would say things like, which is profound to me this day. She would say things like, um, that's more than a notion, honey. That's more than a notion, like more than a concept. And that was powerful to me. It was like, you know, cause I had all these ideas in my head about how life should be or how people should be or how an experience would feel. And then never was it ever any of that. It was like the only explanation ever was the experience itself. The experience was the only explanation. So, you know, that, and, um, you know, my parents are some of the greatest cheerleaders ever. My mom was, is the greatest encourager ever, you know? So she would say that she would also say things like, and she still says things like this was, which is like, honey, just relax and it'll work out. Just relax. It'll work out. Go for a walk. You know, like it seems so, it seems so paltry. It's like, no, that's never going to ever work. Mom. Like, ever, 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 ever going to work. But what happens? You leave, you go for a walk. You're like, oh man, I do feel better. This is a 29,000th time she's told me it, that I've had to fight her on it. I do it just because I love her. And she ends up being right for the 29,000th time. And when you're on that walk, when you come back, you find out you had a phone call and a voicemail and something new comes to the surface and arrives, a new opportunity, a new person, right? So it's like, yeah, Kelly, like what a great question. Oh, they're going for days about that one. So. So I always hear this and we heard, I heard this a little bit in you when you, you know, you got in the consulting job, you had two German cars, you had the, the woman that you were bragging about too, with the five languages, you know what I mean? You're, yeah, I saw you like, I saw you post up on me, like, you know, but have you, have you ever seen somebody be able to have both of them? Because as a kid, I was like, look, people always tell me that money don't bring happiness, but I was broke. And I was like, I'm going to try like, because being broke sucks. Like that's what I used to think as a kid. And all these people say like the, when you get to a point, uh, money isn't ever going to add to it. And I was like, uh, well, you're wrong because if I could go get that shiny car, if I could put them rims on my uh, 71 Corolla station wagon that costs more than the car, then you, I'd be happy. You know what I'm saying? Have oh, you, that's so good. Have you seen somebody that has, both that has the happiness and then has just stupid things they shouldn't have. Yes, absolutely. I genuinely have. And, um, usually it's like, and again, it's always when you just don't expect it necessarily. But so, so I will say without question, I, and you can feel this deeply. There was, and, and we'll have to at some point maybe define happiness a little bit too, but like for me, I'd call it a peaceful aliveness. Right. So it's like, it's like, um, you can still, and you do enjoy people and you enjoy the world and you enjoy, going after things you want, but you don't spend most of your life in the past or the future. You're spending your life mostly enjoying who and what you are right here and now. Right. That's a simple way of saying it. Right. So, um, look, um, I went to an Abraham Hicks seminar once and somehow, some way I got called in the hot seat again, cause I was relaxed about it. I was sure I wasn't going to get it. I was, had no expectations to get called in the hot seat. And so I get called in the hot seat and I went to ask, listen, I had dozens of questions like, not dozens, like hundreds of questions that I always wanted to ask them. I get in the hot seat. All of a sudden, Kelly, my mind is completely quiet, not a ripple of a thought in my brain. And I've suddenly discovered, you know, like, what's your name? I'm like, uh, it's, you know, Rob. And they're like, what's your question? I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like, and, and what I discovered was 
in the presence of like Esther Hicks, I felt genuine peace and happiness coming from that woman, right? Like I felt ge- like, it, like it was like, you know, she's good. Like she's, she's in a space and place right now. She's good. Like there's, she's, and she's wealthy. We know that, you know, make a ton of money. Same thing with Eckhart Tolle, right? And I've met some celebrities actually that are just, I mean, it's pretty wild. You can feel their presence. They're happy and they're at peace and they're insanely wealthy. But the wealth isn't what makes them happy. They were more than likely happy before the wealth, right? So yeah, um, for sure. So for sure I have. You, you, you opened up a can of worms. Define happiness for me. Yeah. So happiness is, um, it's not, so I'll say it this way. It's not what you do, although I would encourage you to do happy things. Happiness is not who you surround yourself with, although I would encourage you to surround yourself with happy, loving people. Happiness is not even what you think. So it's not a state of mind, although that's a great step. And you certainly want to recruit and entertain and feed and fuel happy, positive thoughts as opposed to negative ones. Infinitely better. Happiness is a state of no mind. It's a state of being. Okay. And so the way you know that is when you are about to slip off to sleep at night, right before you are just completely knocked out, that moment, that micro moment, right before you fall asleep and your body is so tired, you don't feel like moving and your brain is so quiet that there's not even a ripple of a thought. It's so sublime, that moment. It's so sublime. And every problem that you had, every concern and every fear you had during the day vanishes, right? And even every desire that you had, every goal and dream that you have for a mo- moment or a micro moment, it's not there. You know, it's out there, so it's not there in your mind, and you feel so good. It's like so pure, and it's so it's it's a it's a peaceful aliveness, though. You're not it's not a it's not a funeral dirge, right? It's like a it's like it's a it's like a festival of lights inside, right? So that moment, and you notice that most of the best moments in your life, you're not thinking a whole lot. You know, that's why we love pleasure so much, right? Like a moment of ecstasy, great food, great friends. You might have some thoughts, but generally. There's just not many thoughts at all. That peaceful aliveness, that state of no mind, that state of being is what you are. It's not what you do. It's not what you think. It's not what you say. It's not who you're surrounded by. It's what you are. And so when you're tapped in, tuned in, turned on to who and what you ultimately are, you are nothing but happiness. Another pause for station identification and shameless promotion. This episode is also brought to you by Finley Cars of Las Vegas. I tell you, next level in the car buying experience, and not only that, but the life of your car, the service that you're going to experience is incredible. It's Finley Volvo Cars. lv.com and also brought to you by uh, bling shine serum the only product on the market that will add weightless moisture strength and shine and the only uh, product that has the endorsement of my mama when i showed her all the features and benefits she smelled it and she said this is the greatest product that you've ever done and i thought mom do you not uh, look at the features and benefits she said no if it smells like that it must work and i tell you every single woman needs a little bit of bling in their life and this can be purchased at kellycardinasalon.com Rob, I mean, I, I had to take a moment of silence there because, and I'm sure that everyone out there listening is probably tapping the share button right now, which you should, because you, every person in the world, I believe, needs to hear this. Um, when you have a person who's as mindful as you are, right? I mean, 
your your intelligence oozes from you, but not in a way that makes me feel bad about myself. Now, not to say that your handsomeness does that, because your handsomeness makes me feel bad about myself. I need to go get my teeth fixed. I need to be able to go work out, and I definitely I, I, I ain't getting lined up. But I mean, your lineup. I could just have your hair, though, Kelly. If I could just have your hair hey. and the look and the beard, bro, it's like <laughs> you're supposed to so consistently. I can't grow a beard for the life of me. <laughs> so, so the the reason why I say that is because when when you have a person that's I mean, as mindful as you are, you're thinking about these things. You you do like what makes you belly laugh? What makes you belly laugh? That means nothing. That doesn't get you closer to happiness. That just is like holy. That is my like. It happened to me the other day. We went and saw um, Space Jam. I suggested for every single person with children, or if you don't have children, I fell in love with LeBron James, but I fell back in love with Bugs Bunny. And Wild Coyote, and when he said uh, um, to Yosemite Sam, he said, shoot the ball, and Yosemite Sam pulled out his revolvers. Pow, 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 pow. I about fell out of my chair, and my wife is looking at me like, are you okay? I was laughing harder than the kids. What makes you belly laugh, Rob? Oh, things like that make me laugh. I mean, it's so funny because I will find myself laughing just in the middle of nowhere Probably it's when something serious is going on, so inappropriately, you know, because I'm not, and I'm not just laughing at that. It's like I remember something that my brother will say. Like my brother's hilarious. He just says things. My sister says things. My little nieces Zoe and Mia say things. I generally, I think, laugh at things that people have said that, um, you know, sometimes they're even at my own expense or whatever. It's like I would just fall myself, like falling out, like oh my gosh, it's hilarious. Sometimes I even find these videos like on YouTube, you've seen some of these videos, like a lot of the news interviews they've done with people who are just like unsuspecting. Oh my gosh. Like there's a video of a guy, Kelly, that gets so mad. Um, and he talks about, um, I'll have to send it to you, but it's like, he's talking about the, the interviewing with a news interviewer and they're, they're like asking questions. And he's basically so mad about the arsenal and people who drive Mercedes Benzes and about, and he talks about not strutting your, not strutting your butt. And he, I mean, it's dude, it's just hilarious. Right. So I find all kinds of things funny. And thankfully, as I've gotten older, I found more and more things funny. And you're absolutely right about this. Like, you know, it's so easy to take life so seriously or yourself so seriously or your thoughts so seriously. Um, But laughter, oh, dude, there's nothing like laughter to just uplift your mood and help you feel like alive. Rob, this is a very serious question. So I got to lean in. Have you ever deesnuts somebody? I'm sure, yes. And if so, sure and if so, if so, when was the last time you performed a good D's Nets? Yeah. You know, I have to admit, it's probably been, I, I would say I was probably in college. I would say it's been since college. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been a long time. So I haven't really. Um, and, you know, these days, it's like you always want to be very mindful of the audience and everything, right? So it's like, you know, I just want to be very careful and very mindful. So it's been a hot minute, but I've definitely laughed at other people pulling that off, um, you know, in public or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's hilarious. I mean, dude, it's been a minute though. Probably my favorite one, because you're not asking me this, but I'm going to tell you. Probably my favorite one, we did a leadership retreat and I was doing a presentation. It was a PowerPoint presentation and I was strong with the crew and it was our company. And I went through a couple uh, different and I did an acronym and I got to to the letter D and I put it up and I got serious. And I was like, uh, D and, and I said, 
everybody write this one down. And they wrote down D. And then I said, these nuts. And everybody <laughs> just fell off. But the crazy thing is, is my son, he's nine. He just found it out. And he asked my wife the other day if she would like two CDs. Oh, <laughs> She's like, honey, I already have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, well, kids are hilarious. I think kids are the fun. I mean, that's what's great about kids. They're just the innocence there. And it's just like, I love that. I, I think it's crazy, though, because my wife, who you'll meet, her name is Brooklyn. My wife tries to de nest people, and I'm like, baby, it doesn't it doesn't make sense here. And, but she's like, ha ha ha. She's constantly, I mean, I think she dees nuts my, my daughter when she was two years old. Like my daughter didn't know what was happening, but here's my wife and she does it. And she, I mean, when you hit, when it hits right, like I got my dad one time, we were fixing a light and he said, uh, can you hand me these over there? And I was like, these nuts. And my dad was like, what'd you say, boy? What'd you say? What'd you talk about, boy? And it's just, it's the, it's the greatest. So, if you're listening out there, um, I encourage you to do one this week. Um, Rob, I am going to throw out the challenge um, that this week I need you to get at least one. The greatest thing would be when you were coaching and you were, you know what I mean? Go ahead. See, that's what I'm saying. You, you read my mind because I'm like, well, the ultimate, the ultimate pull off there would be with a client. You got to pull with a client, right? You have to pull with a client because otherwise, you know, it's like, well, you we can all do it in every day, you know conversations, but I got to pull that with a client. So, okay, I'm going to accept that challenge. I'm going to report back and let you know my way. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you go from, you go from this kid that, uh, is, you know, uh, and when I'm saying insecure, I'm not saying, Hey, I look at you and you're insecure. You said it, right? So if you said it, yeah. I can repeat it. You, you come from this, uh, this self-loathing, um, you know, uh, you're not, uh, loving on yourself, some, some mental, uh, health issues that you go through, you break through, you go through the modeling part, which you said that you were unemployed for 10 years, which I love that you said that too. I love it because every person is like, I'm an actor. I'm like, what restaurant do you work at? Um, yes. So when, when this is, we go through all this and then, I mean, then you work with Oprah, Vanessa Williams, you're on the E channel. You're, you got your own show, which was a good morning LA. I remember you were hosting that and I was on that. What's next for Rob? Ah, oh, great question. And I think only God can answer that one. You know, I've kind of gotten out of the game of knowing what's next. Um, what I, I really don't like, I just like, you know, whatever, whatever thy will is, it's good with me. You know, it's like, it has to be good with me. Cause you know, as they say, reality rules. <laughs> so God rules. So I would say, um, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I know that for sure. It's um, a book. So we got love from the inside out coming out, right. Looking forward to that in the next couple of months. Um, there's a couple of TV shows I'm currently pitching and one TV show that I'm up for that was pitched to me. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited about that. And um, beyond that, I'd say, you know, more of the same, really. I just, hopefully more of these conversations, really looking forward to more of these conversations. Um, I mean, with you, Kelly, especially, it's like, you've got this incredible ability to genuinely and authentically connect and uplift and inspire without being pretentious, without being uncomfortable. It's mind blowing, man. It's a real gift. It's a real, it's a divine gift. And I just want to, acknowledge you and commend you for it because I see your beauty and your value brother. And it's powerful. You know, it's, it's transformative for, for me and for all of us. So please know that. Um, but yeah, that's what I, I'm most looking forward to is these conversations, the book, uh, the TV stuff. I'll be on access Hollywood on the 17th. If you're interested, I don't know if that'll be, it might be an air date after that, 
Um, but yeah, looking forward to mostly more peace, love and happiness, man. Well, it's incredible because, you know, I used to always hear, uh, you know, nice guys finish last. I believe that to be absolutely incorrect. Um, we may be delayed, um, but, but the spoils are amazing. I mean, my, with my mom, uh, you know, my mom teaching me a principle early on, which was just be kind, make friends and work really hard. Right. Oh, Kelly, your mom, we may be brothers from another mom. I mean, the same, because my mom is the same way. She is. The, she says the same thing. She's like, just be a nice human being. Just be a nice person. Well, and you look at you look at your trajectory and you look at if you go back and which I got to listen to this today. You were speaking it. So I can't wait for you to go back and listen to this, Rob. And everyone out there listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like when I say be kind, make friends, work hard. For the last hour. That's what you've said through your actions, through all the things that you're doing. And the cool thing is, is now you're being kind to Rob. Oh, and that's the hell. thing that I want to commend you on because from the very first time, and I didn't know all this, the, the inner workings, and I'm glad that we know this, but you were so kind to me. Like I walked into that room and it can be very intimidating. I had just driven up from, uh, from uh, Carlsbad that morning. I took a wrong turn and I drove through a neighborhood I should not be in. And my buddy, Will, was on the phone with me. He's like, what streets do you want? I told him, he's like, why are you there? <laughs> May not want to stay there. Yeah. So I had driven through all these things. I got in, you know, and not that it was a bad thing, but some, I mean, some of the other people that were sitting in the place that were getting interviewed, it was almost an air of competition, right? Like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do it. And when you came around, you were so kind to me, but I'm, I love the fact that now I know you're being kind to you. Oh, Kelly. I mean, dude, shivers. You're getting me. I mean, shivers, man, because everything you're saying here is so deep. It resonates so deeply with me. It's like, be kind, work hard, make friends. And you've nailed it. That's precisely it. And I didn't even realize that. That's precisely the, what my mom and my dad taught me is precisely the way I try to live my life. I mean, genuinely, that's genuinely it. And it's fascinating when you, get to see that reflected back to you from someone like yourself. Because when we connected, when we met and every time we've met since then or talked since then, I feel all of those things. You make friends with me. I can feel how hard you work and how hard you grind. Right. And I can feel your kindness. It's like, you're this living light, man. You really are. And so I receive that. And I want to reflect it back. It's everything. It really is everything. It's like, you just do that. And you're, it's surprising how easy it is to be happy if, and only if, you make sure you include yourself in that mm-hmm. kindness, your point, right? It's like what Buddha say. It's like you, as much as anybody else in the entire universe, deserves your own love and affection. Mm-hmm. And that's just critical. <clears throat> Tell me this, you know, um, when you go into a situation, now you do this naturally, but you go in with the with a heart of contribution. And you feel it because there's not a back end to you. There's not a, okay. Um, I didn't feel when I met you. And I remember after, like we met, we talked, I was on the show with you. We went through everything. It was a transformational point in my life too, man. Like I had told you on the interview, I went went back on it. Uh, you know, a whole location just walked out in one day. I was in a spot that was transformational. I had no idea, you know, how God was going to work it. And he's just been, I mean, it's been opportunity, you know, it, it's been rolling. There's been work, but it's been that. 
but your spirit was a spirit of contribution. I didn't feel a back end. I didn't feel like Rob was saying, yo, uh, hit me up because I'm going to help you in this way, but then you're going to scratch my back too. That's right. Help the listeners out there to understand how important it is to go into relationships contributing as opposed to consuming. Oh, it's so big. Oh, Kelly. Mm. Beautiful. So absolutely. So transactional, right? It's, transactional is the way most of our relationships play out. It's like quid pro quo. It's an expectation of reciprocity. It's like, I'm going to do something for you, but I'm going to need it back. I'm going to keep score the entire time. I'm going to keep score, you know, and that does not work well for a number of reasons. First of all, that's not really giving. That's just trying to get, right? I mean, that's not really giving. So that's not really loving. That's just trying to get love. And secondly, um, when you operate that way, whether people recognize or realize it first or not, they eventually do come to discover that you're not really in this because you love loving. You're in this because you love getting, right? And so from that scarcity perspective, you're really just going to continue to attract to you more and more experiences and people that have similar mindsets, right? And you're going to find wow, what's wrong with people, man? People suck. They never give me anything. They're never grateful. It's like, you know, they're all entitled. It's like, okay, maybe, or maybe that's also just a little bit of a mirror, right? And so I am extremely selfish. And by that, I mean, I don't want to wait for you to give me what I want. If I need appreciation or I need approval or I need something, I just want to go straight to the source for it, okay? Within myself, right? We call it God, the universe, life. But like, I don't, no, I, I'm too impatient for all that. There's not going to be a quid pro quo, nothing. Like I have this expression I usually say to people very early on, which is like no expectations, only appreciation. And I genuinely mean that. Like I love loving people because it makes me feel good. I, if you get something from it, great. I love that for you. Okay. I love that for you, but I can't guarantee you'll get anything from it, but I know I will no matter what get something from it because I love this. Like I love reminding Kelly of how dope you are. Like I love that. Like, cause it's true. It's like, that's my experience. But also when I remind you of how dope you are, I experience the benefits of that first. I'm the one who has the thought in my head and the feeling in my heart. Like, so it's selfish. It's perfectly selfish. Like I do it for me. So you're absolutely right. And in LA, with entertainment and most businesses, believe it or not, it's a superpower because no one's doing it. Very few people are doing it. They're, they're even small things. Like here's a cup of coffee. It's like in the back of their head, they're like, they say thank you. And so I had to check myself because the first part of my life, I was like focusing on kindness, but it was honestly from a place of, un, I was unwittingly and unconsciously being manipulative. I didn't realize that. I didn't see it that way. It was like, my heart was bad. It was just like, why didn't they say thank you? I held the door open. Why didn't they say thank you? It's like, Rob, okay, you can feel a certain way about that. But did you hold the door open for a thank you? Did you hold the door open for a thank you? Or did you hold the door open because it felt good to do the right thing? Or it felt good to be the right thing, right? So for me, it's like a perfectly selfish thing. I like being happy. I don't want to outsource that to anybody or anything at all, right? It's like, I'll outsource a lot of things, but not my happiness, but not my peace and not my self-love. So that's something I've learned over time that, not only is it more productive and profitable and effective and efficient to base your relationships on a relational as opposed to a transactional approach, but it also is way more enjoyable. You blow my mind every time, man. 
for those of you out there listening that want more of it, the first book is already out, which is happiness from the inside out and then love from the inside out. I want every single person out there. I want you guys to, if there's a pre-order that is available, uh, we're going to have some links uh, for that. Uh, We need to make this a bestseller because I believe that the more and more great things that are out there, the better and the better the world will be. Right. And I'm not trying to change the world. This is what my brother said to me. He said, Kel, don't try and change the world. Just change you. Right. And he said the impact that you think like, oh, I need to, because I remember talking about the industry, the industry, the industry. I was like, I'm going to change the industry. He said, shut up about that. He said, change the three people that are looking back at you at the dinner table. That'll change the world. So, Rob, the whole reason why I started the podcast is because of my kids. Maddox, who's nine. McKenna, who's 12. Maddox, this dude is on fire. Like, he is such an incredible, incredible human being. Like, he's just a light and a love, like, doing everything. He wants to play pool. He wants to play ping pong. He wants to play checkers. He wants to do everything. And everything's the greatest in the world. My daughter, McKenna, biggest heart in the world. She has the biggest heart. She's an artist. Um, she feels for people. I mean, she is, she has so much love in her heart and it's amazing. She just got to do a musical theater camp and she was lit like, and when she lights up, she lights up everybody else. Maddox nine, McKenna 12. I started the podcast for them because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself that has hung out with Oprah that is endorsed by Oprah that's endorsed by Vanessa Williams, who Vanessa Williams, your friend, who's on the E Network, who has their own TV shows, pitching this and telling people they don't want roles. Uh, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, I won't ride my motor scooter to go get it. <laughs> and I wanted to show them that iconic people like you aren't superheroes. They're simply people with phenomenal attitudes and incredible work ethic. So what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use their names, it would be awesome. Yeah. Mm. So Maddox and McKenna, I would encourage you first and foremost, just to love yourself, just to absolutely love yourself. You know, life is so challenging at times, but it's so rewarding at other times. And I promise that if you can just stay focused on loving yourself unconditionally, not only when times are going well, not only when things are going well, not only when you get a good grade or you achieve what you want to achieve. But even when you get a bad grade, even when you do something, you know, you shouldn't have done, you can still love yourself and you can change your behavior too. Right. So I'd say that above all else, please love yourself. If you love yourself, everybody else will love you back. If they have self-love too. If you believe in yourself, everybody will believe in you too. That's the first thing. And so I'd also say the kinematics, you know, do what you love. Do what you love and don't wait for anyone to co-sign or to agree or to approve of you doing those things, right? Especially as you get older. It's like, if you wait for an audience to dance, you'll never dance. You know, if you wait for a sold out crowd to sing, you'll never sing. So dance and sing and celebrate your life as consistently as often as you possibly can. And I think those two things in and of themselves will and should lead to a very happy life. It'll certainly lead to a very happy now moment. And if you can just string enough happy now moments together, you've got a happy life. If you want to work with Rob, 
It's CoachRobMac.com. If you want to check him out on Instagram, it's at RobMacOfficial. But I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to give away the whole farm. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If Rob was on his deathbed, yeah. you have five minutes. You got three of the three, four of the most important people in your life. You only got three pieces of advice to give to them. And when you give it to them, it doesn't save your life. You just expire. What are you going to tell them? Mm. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Live now. Love now. Enjoy now. That's all I really need to say. Mm. You know, don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't hesitate. Live, love, and enjoy now. You know, it's like, another way I might say that is think less, enjoy more, think less, love more, think less, live more. You know, wouldn't need to say a whole lot. Rob, you have been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, uh, seeing you, you know, seeing your face, it's, it's incredible. And I want to encourage you and I want to encourage every single person out there listening. When you're at a point where you feel like, oh man, I don't know if I should be doing this, you should be doing it. I had that feeling today. I tell you, I sat and I had an interview this morning at uh, nine o'clock and, and then I had a following one at 10 and I was done by 1130 and from 1130 up until 257 when I got on with you. There were so many questions that ran through my mind. There were so many things that went through, but you never know how the next moment will impact you. And if you can just be present, and that's what you told me today, like be present. The only way to truly be happy is to be present. Not that like to, to uh, uh, you know, to acknowledge the past, to accept the future and reside in the present. Woo! And you helped me with this today because what you were talking about in your whole story, I mean, yours was a matter of life and death. Mine wasn't a matter of life and death. Mine was, you know, sucking my thumb and getting down and stuff like that. But this, it was overwhelming today and getting on and talking to you. And I just want you to understand how much of an impact you have on this world, Rob, how much of an impact you have on an individual and how much your light shines and, and, for anyone out there that you're at a point. Now, when I say that, if it's a positive thing, like if you're about to take another hit of the crack pipe, don't be like, I don't feel like doing this, so I should. That's not what Kelly said. But what I'm saying is if it's a positive thing and you've been working at it and maybe you're just a little bit down, maybe you're, you're a little bit tired. Like Rob said, stay present. Enjoy that moment because that moment, that mess that you're in right now will become your message later. And Rob, I mean, you have been absolutely phenomenal today. I appreciate you, man. And I want to have you on again. I'm so down. You know, I'm down. Whatever you're up to, I'm down for, you know that. So hundred percent. And I just want you to say, I want to say to you, and I mean this, like you're just, I'm so thrilled and so grateful and so humbled that you would have me as a guest, that you would have me as a friend, that you would have this conversation with me, man. I feel moved by it. Genuinely feel deeply moved by it. And you have such a gift. The way you connect 
the way you communicate, the sound of your voice. It's just like a voice that I want to hear, which is a very, you know, there's a lot, a lot of voices that you want to listen to over and over again for hours. I, would, I want to hear your voice. And you have this light and this love and this wisdom that's profound. It's profound. And so please know that you changed my life and my day just by showing up today. In addition to the way in which you showed up, which is so powerful and so pur- purpose-driven and so present. So thank you so much, man. I genuinely, deeply love you, man. And you can reach out to me anytime. I would love to continue this conversation. Okay. Well, now's the time that all of you out there listening, click the links, check out the sponsors, do all the things that you know you need to do. But I am going to do this ask. I'm going to tell you, number one, you need to go check out Rob's uh, uh, website, coachrobmack.com. You need to check him out on Instagram. But also what I would suggest, I want you to share this with every single person out there. I want you to share it with the mom who's struggling with the son or the daughter who maybe has has committed suicide. I want you to uh, share it with the, the, the person that maybe, uh, you know, has contemplated. I want you to share it with the person who you don't think that they have anyone in their life that is going through this. But also I want you to share it with the people who need a little bit of joy, need a little bit of happiness. And sometimes I want you to share it with people who are already residing in happiness because this will help the world to be better. I don't care who it is. If they got breath in their lungs, they need to hear Rob's message. And so I want to thank you again, Rob. You are officially off the hot seat. Thank you.